Hi, welcome to our fourth Universalist service video. My name is Ember Kelly. I use she and her pronouns, and I'm the Director of Religious Education here at the Fourth Universalist Society. It's so great to have you here. What follows are selections from our service on January 23rd, 2022. Uh, in this video, you'll hear the reading as well as the reflection, and following that, you hope you join us for a discussion where we go a little bit deeper into the service themes together. You're invited to check out these video and audio podcasts each week. We post them on our website, Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, as well as your favorite podcast streaming sites. If you like what you see, we hope you'll give us a positive review. The likes, the comments, the sharing and subscribing, these help to spread forth universalist media further. Finally, we acknowledge that in our physical space, we are located on the land of the Moon Salinape peoples. With this acknowledgement, we seek to continue the process of working to dismantle the ongoing legacies of oppression. We invite you to join us in this work as we embrace the eighth UU principle. Thank you again for watching. We begin with our reading. We have an excerpt from The Sacred Balance, written by Canadian scientist and environmental activist David Suzuki. Humanity is an infant species, newly evolved from life's web. And what a magnificent species we are. We can look out and feel spiritually uplifted by the beauty of a forested valley or an ice-coated Arctic mountain. We are overwhelmed with awe at the sight of the star-filled heavens, and we are filled with reverence when we enter a sacred space in the beauty, mystery, and wonder that our brain perceives and expresses. We add a special gift to the planet. But our brash exuberance over our incredible inventiveness and productivity in this century has made us forget where we belong. If we are to balance and direct our remarkable techn technological muscle power, we need to regain some ancient virtues. The humility to acknowledge how much we have yet to learn, the respect that will allow us to protect and restore nature, and the love that we can lift our eyes to distant mountains, distant horizons, far beyond the next election, paycheck, or stock dividend. Above all, we need to reclaim our faith in ourselves as creatures of the earth, living in harmony with other forms of life. What a sign of maturity it would be for our species to acknowledge the profound limitations inherent in human knowledge and the dest destructive consequences of our crude but powerful technologies. If we look at the world through the lenses of all life together, we may recognize the origins of our destructive path and realize that we are not the managers. There is wisdom enough for self-management in the web of living creatures that have survived for more than 3.6 billion years. Instead of trying and failing to manage the life support systems of the planet, we, each one of us, can manage the effect we have on those systems.
So do you all remember the movie Deep Impact? It came out in 1998 and starring Morgan Freeman, Elijah Wood, Vanessa Redgrave. Actually, it was a pretty killer cast for such a bad movie. But in the film, a comet is hurtling towards Earth, destined to cause massive destruction and casualties to life as we know it. The United States government is trying to keep the whole thing under wraps, but a journalist, back when journalists were allowed to do their jobs, apparently, uncovered the whole thing, thus forcing the government to go public and actually do something about it. The bulk of the film focuses on people making peace with this existential doom, if you happen to live where the devastation will occur, or trying to find a solution and then mining for hope to overcome, carry on, and survive. I bring it up because humans sure like these external threat movies and the call to action they inspire. The idea that we all need to come together to prepare for a comet is something people are perfectly willing to suspend disbelief for. That and zombies. We sure seem okay with the idea that a zombie apocalypse is certainly in the realm of possible, and that if we have things like machetes and orienteering skills, we will be totally fine. A virus that turns people into zombies who then try to eat you is an entertaining and for many an inspiring external threat. Zombies in some people's minds are a more credible threat than global warming. Now some of this external absurdity is perfectly captured in a more recent film release on Netflix called Don't Look Up. Now, I don't know who's seen it and hasn't, so I don't want to give any spoilers to those who haven't. So I'm just going to suggest that you watch it, and then we should probably have a conversation about it, because there's lots of parallels in there. But in both of these films and both these cases, uh, it becomes clear that we humans, yes, and Americans, yes, seem to have a problem with real threats. Unless, of course, it's a plant, insect, or mollusk. We like to talk about invasive species when they are an external threat. We have no problem with tearing out Japanese knotweed or purple loosestrife when they take over our yards and fields. While walking on the Wallkill Valley Rail Trail some time ago, which is a 22 and a half mile stretch just across the street from my home in Rosendale, I saw a sign educating visitors about the spotted lanternfly, including beautiful images of every stage of their life cycle and the statement to destroy if seen, since they are so damaging to New York agriculture. And many of us probably remember the call to action around zebra mussels, right? So yeah, plant, insect, mollusk, zombie, comet. Those are the threats we should take seriously, right? In reality, we are the threat. We are the problem. Humans are the most damaging invasive species on planet Earth. It is human activity that is causing the planet to heat at its current rate. 
Human consumption fuels this increase. Human greed, carelessness, and selfishness are the root causes of the climate crisis. And paradoxically, we are the only species that can stop us. I have been teaching about climate change for years and created curricula for a few different audiences. When I lead trainings or classes or workshops, I watch faces transform as we flip through slides about the facts, the data of climate change. I use images and graphs to really make it clear that A, climate change is not up for debate, and B, humans are the cause. It blows my mind that there are people who still wonder if global warming is really a thing. Even Greta Thunberg, the 16-year-old Swedish activist, well, now she's 18, I'm sorry, I forgot. At the time when she was doing her big stuff, she was only 16, when interviewed at the, on The Daily Show when she was just 16, couldn't believe that Americans were debating the reality of climate change. I imagine many of you saw this clip of her and Trevor Noah. Trevor Noah asked her, do you feel a difference in the conversation around climate change traveling from Sweden to America? Her response was, I would say yes. Here, it feels like it's being discussed as something you believe or not. Where I come from, it's a fact. And it is a fact. All the theories folks have tried to put forth to debunk it, including but not limited to, volcanic activity, solar flares, or the natural cycle of the earth have themselves been disproven. The cause is an increase in greenhouse gases in the atmosphere, and those are primary release due to the burning of fossil fuels. And the two countries who are the largest culprits in releasing greenhouse gases, China and the United States of America. The U.S. is responsible for 15% of carbon emissions in the world. We, as a nation, emit more than three times our population share. We are the threat. We are the invasive species. We are, of course, not alone. Most high-income countries produce more carbon emissions than their population share. But I don't think that is company we should want to keep. And the real rub is that all research and even a cursory review of climate-related disasters in the newspaper shows that it is and will be low-income communities and low-income nations, those who have already suffered the most through colonization, vicious civil wars, and resource pillaging by high-income countries they will be the first and worst affected by climate change. Now, I hope I don't have to stand here and make believers out of you, and I'm pretty sure I don't. Although as a member of the clergy, I feel it is my role and my responsibility to engage us as often as possible in discussions and actions on the devastating effects of climate change and our part in either adding to it or working to change the course. I hope that we will all take to heart Greta Thunberg's call to action. Adults keep saying we owe it to the young people to give them hope, but I don't want your hope. I want you to act as if the house is on fire because it is. The house is on fire 
And we adults who have maybe let our self-interests outweigh the collective good must step up. Now, there is always talk about what one person can do to make a change. And I am all for that. I am not talking about recycling because that is basically a sham. And those of you who attended our program last week, The Story of Plastic, know exactly what I am talking about. And I'm not just talking about how each of us can lower our carbon footprint, although we all have to be doing that. But really, really, in addition to all of the personal changes we make, what we have to do is look at how capitalism and its poisons of greed, corruption, and me-firstism is the catalyst of climate change. And we have to work to undermine and disempower that system. Most days, the enormity of the task ahead of us makes me sad and anxious and overwhelmed. I fear for my daughter and the dreams she has for a family in the future that may never be fulfilled. And when I feel this way, I walk away from media of all kinds. I step into my backyard, which I'm very blessed to have, and I drink in all the wonders of creation. I actually talk to the insects and the plants and the birds, and I thank the trees and I find hope as best I can. And oftentimes I turn to heroes of mine. Jane Goodall in her book, Reason for Hope, explains why she has hope. She says, my reasons for hope are fourfold. One, the human brain. Two, the resilience of nature. Three, the energy and enthusiasm that is found or can be kindled among young people worldwide. And four, the indomitable human spirit. In some ways, I think she thinks much more highly of humans than I do. <laughs> but I do agree with her that if we use our brains and our spirits to make better decisions and to actively work for energy reforms and other legal reforms, maybe we can save ourselves. But I mostly, like Jane herself, believe in young people. I don't know if you ever saw those pictures a couple years ago about Jane and Greta hanging out together, hitting it off so well. No surprise there. Greta embodies hope, not because she is charming about her message, but exactly the opposite. She does not peddle hope. She peddles truth. And her truth-telling and fearlessness gives me hope. She has actively disrupted the system and the expectations put upon her by leading school strikes, by telling it like it is to heads of state around the world and by modeling the necessary behavioral changes we all need to make if we are to sever our fossil fuel dependency and address climate change. In that same interview with Trevor Noah, she talks about taking a boat to get here and how she continues to use only trains and boats. So in the spirit of taking action, I want to suggest some of the things that we can do individually and collectively right here at Fourth U. The first thing I do want to remind everyone 
is that we have an environmental justice team at Fourth U, and you can and should get involved there. I'd also like to suggest that maybe through the EJ team or as a congregation, we all read and discuss Drawdown. And there's a companion book I just bought, and I meant to have the name in front of me and I forgot, so I'll add it to our podcast chat YouTube thing. Drawdown, and so therefore, so we could be strategic about what needs to be done locally and globally. We also have to find the few things that we can do right now, things that are in fact in our control such as cutting down on food waste. Most of these things can be found in Drawdown, Project Drawdown. Cutting down on food waste, stopping buying plastic, shopping locally and eating seasonally, switching our home and business energy use to a solar farm or wind farm. I know that could be tricky in some places, but we can research it. Drive and fly less. And this may be the hardest to just stop consuming. Stop online shopping, and you already know the one particularly egregious company that I shall name, Amazon. Stop buying disposable anything, especially cheap clothing made by children in developing nations. Stop buying the latest tech gadget, which uses precious earth resources and harms people already colonized. Basically, I invite us all to stop supporting greedy corporate entities who want to make our lives easier while they get richer and the planet gets sicker. I'd also invite us all to be a thorn in the side of the fossil fuel industry and any leader or politician who supports them. Write letters, make phone calls, show up and show up again. And while we're at it, let's also talk to local business owners about what they sell, where it comes from, and how it's packaged. I invite us all to listen to young people. Actually, don't just listen to them. Let's support them, follow them, encourage them, and empower them. Let's be okay with taking responsibility for the mess we created, thus making room for their creative and divergent thinking. And finally, I'd like to challenge each of us to have one conversation or do one action a day that addresses climate change. Lord knows we UUs like to talk about big picture stuff and we like to do meaningful things. So let's make our conversations and actions, conversations and actions to preserve the future because that future is no longer certain. There is much we, the invasive species, can be doing to put the fire out. And frankly, I'd love us as you use to be sacred activists and religious leaders in New York City, in New York State, and beyond. In a workshop I created for clergy around climate change, I use this tagline, science gives us the data, our faith compels us to act. As Unitarian Universalists who draw deeply from science, reason, and various world religions, we should be models for how to act to ameliorate the effects of climate change. 
we should live deeply into our principles, bringing together our acceptance and belief in science with our faith-based commitment to justice, to rebalance the planet and leave a better world for our children. May we be prepared to change our habits and habits of mind. May we make choices grounded in science, but guided by faith. May we be advocates, activists, and agents of change to return our planet to health. May it be so. It is so great to be back with you all once again. Reverend Leonisa, it's, it's great to be with you again as well. Likewise. Oh, man, this message, yeah, I mean, the uh, the name itself, you know, had me had me hooked in interest before I even got to read the, the text of the sermon. I'm like, I'm like, I want to know what this one's going to be about. Um, you know, so congrats on the marketing skills with the with picking up. Okay. <laughs> yes, I'm learning a thing or two. Like, how do you get people to come to a service? You use a catchy title. That's, yeah, it's all about that's why, you know, those the signs outside of all the evangelical churches where they, you know, put some sort of catchy name of the of yeah. the sermon yeah with some pun usually yes i know but i was going for it so this is uh, to, in full disclosure mode is a adapted version of a sermon i gave a couple of years ago and it was right after i um planned i was the organizer for the climate strike up here in kingston new york so that's september 2019 and i thought okay so now i should follow it up with like some preaching on that and I liked the phrase of humans and other invasive species because I was just like, um, I don't know if I had, I mean, I had thought about that before that, I mean, I, that we, the planet is this, you know, self-reliant um, self organism, as it were, depending on what, you know, school of thought you uh, apply to about how Earth works. And, uh, you know, balance exists, right? And all organisms seek equilibrium and balance. And, and I thought except when then you have like something growing in your yard that takes everything over or in like, or more than yards, like walkways or, or you know, uh, invasive species. We're always like, we should get rid of this thing. It's an invasive species. And I was like, yeah, well, maybe we're the invasive species, right? Like we've thrown the equilibrium off balance, right? And that was where the, so the title was meant to be provocative because I wanted people to think differently about our role in this, because it's one thing to sit there and say like, oh, humans are the problem and oh, what can we do? Eh, you know, but reframing it in the sense of um, invaders, core problems, right? Like stronger. I was just trying to be stronger about it that, right? Like we can't just, it's just not enough to say, oh, we do these things, but that's just the way we are, right? If we reframe it in a biological sense of like how we treat and think about invasive species, then maybe that would change people's minds. That's what I was hoping. So since it was, you know, uh, uh, edited and reframed older, older message, was there a particular, I mean, there, there's lots going on with the climate these days. Um, was there any particular inspiration for this message this week? Was there some stuff maybe going on in the news that made you think like, this is the moment for the time. Well, you know, I always think it's the moment to be preaching about climate change. Like really like my, my uh, goal over the next year is to start um, weekly or monthly evening services that are for climate activists, like an evening 
a congregational online gathering because I think that's really important. So, and so I guess what happened is, was I, when I was thinking about my themes for the next three months, I again wanted to start the year off with a, a like a big idea that then we can keep visiting, right? And so, you know, two weeks ago was the idea of the peace, peace education. And this felt like a nat natural extension of that. And I know Fourth U has, a, after doing the Sacred Earth course in the fall and meeting the folks who are on the Earth Earth, uh, Earth Justice team? No, what they have a name. Uh, environmental Justice team. Environmental Justice. Yeah. Environmental Justice. And I thought, okay, th this is this is a sermon that I think would be land really well here, but it also might be an invitation for more people to get involved. And again, I you know, start the year off with the big messages that we need to be pay paying attention to. Oh, and, and in relation to to Mark's last week, it's setting the intention for the year by by going with these big, big concepts to get us thinking at the start of the year. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, because it's very easy to become complacent on all manner of things. Like you watch a great film and you're like, oh, that's interesting. And then you're like a week later, you're like, what was, what was I caring about now? You know, <laughs> right? Like, so if we set it and say, this is the focus, this is my, the focus for the year. I mean, it's the focus of like basically all my work. So I just wanted to share that with fourth you. So. Yeah. Any resources that you'd recommend to folks to like maybe dive a little bit deeper into thinking about this? Well, we in the reading today is a, um, a David Suzuki piece, which I think is fantastic. Um, I think the resources in the Sacred Earth course are also a really interesting one. I would encourage people who are, I can't imagine people are still skeptics, although that comes up in the sermon that there are, right? There are, which, you know, boggles the mind. Um, I think digging into data is really important. I would visit the EPA website. I would read the IPCC, the, uh, the sixth report, whatever, right? Like that. I. Um, I could share that with people. I shouldn't just reference it. I, we can, I can send it to you and we can put it in our, our links. Um, I think it's really important, for the, especially for the invasive species or the human piece, um, to really look at what scientists are saying, right? And then to maybe balance that with a faith perspective on how we can change things, right? Like I, I, you know, I quote myself in the sermon, I'm pretty sure, and it's a little meme I have and so dorky, but it's like science gives us the data, our faith compels us to act. And so I think we should draw, draw from both sources. So if you're unsure or you're skeptical or you're not, you don't understand it, read some reports. And then actually I think a great resource is um, NASA Kids website has a whole climate change activity section and it just breaks it down into manageable chunks it's got interactive games so you can understand how this works right because as a person who was a science educator for 30 years i know we don't didn't always do very well so i think we understanding the science will help us and then just keep diving into resources that help understand understand help you expand your understanding and give you ideas for how to enter into dialogue about what do we do, right? Which reminds me of our um, January 11th program. Like, I think that that film about plastics, fantastic documentary, right? And just mi hopefully mind shifting for people, right? And and um, and I'm reading this thing now with my Italian um, coach, tutor, uh, about like a new program that's in Italy and the rest of Europe about, uh, 
stopping fast fashion and promoting textile re reuse and you know and so it's like there are things happening around the world that we can learn from like in the story of plastics there was so much to learn from what's being done in the philippines and india and other parts of the world that we tend not to pay attention to so i so that's my rambly way of saying like there are so many resources out there or the other one the rail the yale forum on religion and ecology oh my gosh they have courses for free you get to just study this stuff like dive in can't beat free you can't beat can't beat free, free. <laughs> Well, but I mean, you know, you um, you kind of hit it on the head there that um, I was I was reflecting on my own time in in Vietnam, and you know, anybody I talked to, like they didn't that, that debate just isn't going on over there. Like they're you know trying to figure out how to how to be more green, how to as they develop, how to prepare um, for like the flooding, the storms. Like the, these are actual realities. And so then you were talking about how you know these people in other countries. Like this is definitely a case where I think that uh, those of us in, in the U.S. can really stand to learn a lot from people doing other things like across the world, um, both in like both in, you know, the, the third world and in like Europe as well. Like we can we can learn lessons from these activists that are that are really um, understanding the, the life or death nature of it. Yeah. And especially since, you know, as all research shows, you know, we're either tied, we, we jockey between first and second place of being the biggest perpetrator of the releasing of greenhouse gases. So like we are like Americans in many ways are the top of the heap of the invasive species there. And the people bearing the brunt of it are the people in the developing world or in island nations or right. So it's we have to take responsibility. And if education is the thing that gets us there, if it's religious work that gets us there, something has to get us to the place to say, oh yeah, I'm responsible for this. I, I have to change this, what I'm doing and learn from people who are saying, yeah, 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 this is not okay. And this cannot continue. Right. Intersectionality there between environmental justice and colonialism. Those are Absolutely. Inter interlinked issues. Yes, like an <laughs> unfortunate, you know, yeah. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But so going way back, you, you were, it was funny because you said, um, we should look at both of these sources. And I really wanted to interrupt and be like, what about our principles? Because in the UUA, we have sources and principles. And principles. <laughs> yes. But, you know, I figured hearing from you is more important than a, than a quick UUA joke like that. But, um, but but well, our seventh principle is, our sources and principles, is right? all about this. Yeah, we I mean, we have a source about, you know, well, we, we, you know, we have in our roots, although sometimes they're a little problematic, but we have the transcendentalists in our roots, right? Those are the folks who are reminding us that the divine is found in nature. We can find these connections, learn from it, get closer to it. Um, and our seventh principle, which I know you want to talk about, I think you're, you, you know, you talk about with the kids is um the interconnected web of all life of which we are a part we are not separate we are not above we are not next to we are a part of it and that's like we really if we're you use we've got to be living into that right so you you give us kind of some some action steps at the end um and i thought they were wonderful um, even if the Amazon one can be a little bit of a challenge sometime when you're yeah. when you're stuck at home all the time. That's true. Um, but you know, I'm I'm curious. What does what does a better world look like where we are where we've taken it past those baby steps and we're we're making these changes? What does what does that look like to you? 
So, oh, that's such a great question. I mean, I, well, I guess if I, well, I have a few, I have small ideas and big ideas. So the, the better world concept is, is um, for me, and probably many people who think like me, and I imagine you as well, right? Like something where we live in connection to relationship with harmony with all living things, right? So it's not like a, a human centric model, right? It's more like, you know, I know that I get to eat X, Y, and Z only because the planet can sustain the life of X, Y, and Z because all these other things fall into place, right? So if we could, you know, I guess it's the aspiration, which I don't think is far off and isn't lofty or dreamy or idealistic or utopian by any sense of the word, is that we um, live in harmony community with all life. We create a world where everyone gets to thrive, not just the 1% or the handful of people who have actually already been born on third base but think they hit a triple, right? Like, how do we remind all of us that it's like... <laughs> we're all part of this. And if we see other people suffering, then that's our responsibility as well. And if, well, and if we see the planet suffering, then that's our responsibility. And then, you know, so I guess that's the, the vision which should then guide our choices. And um, I, you know, I, I think I said this, I don't know when we last spoke about something along these lines, but I really think consumption and consumerism is a real problem. I never know if it's our official conversations or our sidebars where I say these things, but like, um, you know, consumption and and and, and um, waste and a, a, an idea that stuff is what we need to make us feel better when it's really just like being okay with ourselves and with each other and um, fighting against the mechanisms that do create hierarchies that put, make us feel like either we need to consume or we need to put other people down or we need to divide because I think the um, the climate problem, you know, is one that's not just going to magically disappear and it really requires all hands on deck, right? And it really requires us to put pressure on, you know, the muckety-mucks, the 1%, the people in power, our feckless politicians, you know, people who we have to legislate things like things will not change if we can't say you're responsible for this right you have to be so i'm all for the like personal things we can do my daughter and i after watching um story of plastic together said what if our town could become one of those zero waste communities right like we live in a town of six thousand people you know, a, a mixed bag of who lives here. But we were like, you know, do, maybe we should have a conversation about what it would be like to make good old Rosendale a zero waste community, right? We try to create a zero waste household, right? Like, ha you know, by what we buy and don't buy. We, you know, we compost, we, you know, we do what we can in terms of recycling, but if we can't recycle it, then we don't buy it, right? Like if it can't be reused or recycled. So I, I love the idea, especially, and I keep thinking of the story of plastics, of moving that, to communities, right? And, um, but I do think it's not just the personal stuff because I think that's been a little um, trick of the, uh, the, of the higher ups to say, oh, you should, I do think we should all stop buying plastic and we should all blah, blah, blah. And then we should go to our grocery stores and say, please stop selling these things. And then we should go to Coca-Cola and Dow and Unilever and all those places. And we should be putting way more pressure on our government officials to pass a Green New Deal and other, right? Like, so it's a, 
a multi-tiered or concentric circle role we have to play in taking action for these things and remembering that we are advocates for people we don't even know who live halfway or all the way across the world who are losing their homes and right because we can't break our addiction to fossil fuels come on man come on like that's enough already right was that ranty? That was ranty. It's not. I always enjoy both our official conversations and our side conversations. So <laughs> thank you so much for being here. Thank you. I hope that, yeah, I hope people, I think, you know, I think at 4th U and I think the UUs are doing a bunch of stuff. I think we should remind everyone who's listening that the UU Ministry for Earth has great programs going on and we're adding more to it. I'm going to be part of some things. Um, any clergy, I should mention this too, if I can, we have a minute. Um, I minute. really believe um, in some of the research I, I do is about how the role of clergy in the lives of their their flocks, as it were. And, you know, some really interesting research shows that uh, at a Pew, Pew Research Trust, right, that people actually do listen to their ministers. So if ministers were using their pulpits as a way to share, not just like, dread and fear but in in action and empowerment of how we can address climate change using scripture using whatever you take whatever you need i think that would be really impactful and if i may just plug that on february 26th i'll be teaching a workshop for clergy and seminarians interfaith um, at one spirit uh, online one spirit seminary called ecology as scripture and it's a way for anyone who is interested in this idea that we can use our religious foundations or our spiritual grounding to be voices to inspire others to take action for the planet then please join me i'd love to see you there happy to include a plug thank you to all of our listeners as well thank you mm -hmm.